chapter 12, verse 14, verse 18. Uh, I appreciate concerning the subject, the thought, following peace and following holiness. Uh, and verse uh, 14 through verse 18. Follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord, looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you thereby many be defiled. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person such as Esau, who for one morsel of bread sold his birthright. We know how that afterwards, when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. Our Father, we ask that you'd bless the reading of thy word, and we pray that uh, we might understand the uh, seriousness of the subject tonight of following peace and following holiness. Lord, we see here that it says, without which no man shall see God. And so, Father, we pray that we would uh, understand the significance of that statement and recognize the value of it in our own lives. We pray your blessing on uh, the Reed family as they are on vacation. We pray that you'd uh, give them a good time of rest and uh, recre recreation while they're down south here that you guide their travels as they uh, head back north uh, in the days ahead. We pray for uh, the Patrick family and your continued blessing in their lives and provision. The goal of uh, uh, reaching the point where they can head for the field in just a year and a half is a lofty one. I pray that you'd help them to see that accomplished. And, and I pray that you'd also help them to uh, uh, see the goal uh, of uh, starting and planting a, a, a New Testament Baptist church and then out of that, other churches and see the objective that they have in their heart. Uh, if uh, you tarry and uh, do not return before the work is finished, I pray that they would uh, uh, they would finish that course. I ask a blessing on them as they uh, continue their preparations. Pray you bless our reading of our word, uh, uh, thy word tonight. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you could remain centering for thank the Lord for them. Uh, take your Bible back to Hebrews uh, chapter twelve and. Following peace and holiness. There's two exhortations given uh, to us in that passage, and they uh, comprise the whole of the Christian life, really. And you look at them, they refer to our relationship with God, holiness, uh, following holiness, and then they refer to our relationship with man, follow peace with all men. So they both uh, encompass, really, both uh, the tables of the Ten Commandments. If you uh, take a look at the Ten Commandments, you have... Uh, the first half of them approximately that relate have to do with our relationship to God and have to do with our honoring God and uh, worshiping God. And then the second half of them have to do with our relationship to other men. And it, all through the scripture you see that over and uh, over again. You see the uh, young man coming to Jesus and asking him which is the, great, uh, the greatest of the commandments. And uh, you see the Lord Jesus answering him that uh, he's to love the Lord God with all his heart and soul and mind and strength. And that secondly, the second commandment, uh, he said, is equal to it, is that uh, uh, we're to love our neighbor as ourselves. So it's, uh, it's the love of God, love of man. Those two, those two responsibilities, following after holiness and following after peace, those two things, themes all through the scripture, those two exhortations are pointed out all through the course of the Bible. When you're reading the scriptures, um, take note of those things, how often uh, the the contrast is given between the two of them. The the comparison is given between the two of them. How often there uh, those uh, truths are emphasized uh, in the scripture. So uh, 
we see it over and over uh, that, uh, you know, it's not possible to be, to be uh, holy toward God while being unholy toward uh, our neighbor. We can't do that. We can't be in fellowship with God and out of fellowship with our church family. It's not possible to do that, to have that separation. Our growth in grace is uh, according to God's will and in accord with God's will. It's got to be in connection with the local church and the communion of the saints. It's just the way God fixed that thing, you know. Uh, it's the way it is. And so uh, it's important for us to, to recognize the value of these two great truths and how, how it is and practically, Lord, how is it then that we do that? How do we follow peace? How do we follow holiness? And how, how's that work out in our lives? And so that's what uh, we want to consider for a little bit today. Uh, to follow peace uh, and holiness, we've got to have, first of all, a personal fellowship with God. And secondly, we've got to have a public fellowship with God's church. We need both of those things going on for us to be able to follow peace and holiness. We can't follow holiness and peace individually if we uh, don't have any time daily in our lives for the Word of God and, and prayer. You've got to have that. You and I as uh, individual believers need to have that. You're, you and I cannot be where we need to be with Christ if we neglect that very essential uh, part of our day-to-day life. You've got to have it, brothers and sisters, and as busy as it is, as much uh, you know, as there is to do, uh, if, you, if you have too much to do to, that you don't have time to be in the Word of God, and in prayer at all, in any given day, you just have too much to do, you know. You just have too much to do. Do less. And you say, well, I, if I do less, uh, you know, I'll, I'll make less money. Well, make less money than, uh, uh, if you have to. But uh, all of us need to have that. We need to recognize the value and importance of that. And we, we can't follow. We can't do what the Scripture tells us to do, following holiness and following peace. just can't do it if we don't uh, have that uh, individual um, a commitment to to that personal fellowship with our Savior, and as we as that time goes on, you know, uh, we stop looking at the clock and thinking, well, I got to do my 15 minutes of praying and reading my Bible, and and boy, it seems to be so long. Before long, it's like uh, you know, an hour goes by and you haven't even realized it's passed because uh, you're enjoying fellowship with your Savior. That's the way that thing goes. But you've got to. You've got to have uh, that going on. You've got to put that as a priority in your life. We can't follow holiness uh, individually if, we, if we're not uh, doing that. And, uh, and we can't follow uh, holiness and peace if our attendance in the house of God is just at our convenience. And I thank God you're here tonight. You know, I'm preaching to the choir. I get it, you know. You're here tonight because you recognize the importance of gathering together in the house of God. It's... You, it's Sometimes it isn't convenient, is it? Uh, uh, those of you that struggle a little bit with driving after dark, you know, it's really not convenient. And uh, I get that. Those of you that drive from a long way away, we got folks here from Riverside and in Hemet and in Lake Elsinore and uh, Anza and, you know, places far away. It's not convenient. It's not easy. It's, uh, it's not, uh, you know, it's a difficult thing at times to get here and be in the house of God and then uh, with all the other responsibilities. I understand that. I get it, you know. Um, I'm blessed. My commute's only, you know, a mile and a half from uh, church to work, you know. And so uh, 
I'm blessed in that way. I recognize that, uh, you know, I have the advantage there, certainly, uh, over many of you that drive and and commit yourselves to to lots of things and still are faithful here. But uh, that's so important. I'm glad you get it. I'm glad you understand that. Uh, we're, we're promised, you know, as we gather together that His special presence is here. It's here in a different way than it is anywhere else, you know. Uh, he says, you know, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst. And, he, and if you, you know, run that through the scripture, you find that He's talking about the fellowship of the saints. And they were gathered together, and they were striving together, and they were serving together, and they were working together, and they were praying together, and they were together, together, together. Uh, it is the gathering together of God's people. He, he's all about that, you know. And he's all about his name. The place where he's chosen to put his name is here in his church, in his house. He's chosen to put his name there. Run, a, run, a, run the references sometime uh, on the word place uh, and see what God has to say about a place. There's a place by me, he says. And, and there's a place that I have chosen to put my name there. So... Uh, that place is the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of the truth. It's essential, not just convenient, but it's essential. We need to get the, uh, the essential nature of our commitment to be in God's house together with God's people. We're called to strive together. We're pulling on the rope together. You know, one of you or two of us or three of us can do a lot to, to help uh, the Patricks down the way and on the road, but uh, the striving together of all of us, uh, working together and serving together and being encouraged together is going to make a much greater difference than a few of us individually working on that thing, you know. So that's what we're talking about, striving together. We're exhorted to continue steadfast in the Apostles' Doctrine. And in prayer, we're told that from the very beginning, from the earliest days of uh, the local church, we're, we're told th- those things are essential. God has called pastors and teachers to, uh, to the work of perfecting the saints and uh, exhorting the saints and uh, rebuking and reproving and exhorting and encouraging and instructing the saints. Those things happen in the gathering of the people of God together in the house of God. They happen uh, in uh, our individual walk with the Lord, but uh, God's designed the thing so that it works that way with God's people gathering together. We're encouraged uh, to be united in prayer and united in fellowship. The individual spiritual life is nourished by the uh, gathering together of the church. It's not just by the preaching, it's by the fellowship. It's not just by the Teaching in Sunday school, it's by the encouragement of the brethren, the, the, that selfless spirit of serving one another, you know, and serving the Lord together. It's, uh, it's essential. It's not just, a, uh, you know, a good idea sometimes. It's an essential for us to be where we need to be. Uh, I was uh, reading after Adolf Saffer. He, is a, he was a Hungarian Jew. He lived in Budapest. And um, he was brought to Christ in 1843 by the preaching of a missionary from Scotland who was concerned about the Jewish population in, uh, in Hungary. And so this missionary won him to Christ. And uh, this uh, man, Adolf Saffer, 
became a committed Christian and then God called him to ministry. He began to, uh, to preach the gospel among the Jews and uh, to reach Jews and then God called him to, uh, to preach and he became a pastor and served uh, all, all the remainder of his life as a preacher, as a pastor. He wrote some uh, commentaries and one of the commentaries that I have very valuable to me is, uh, is his commentary on Hebrews. In that he said this and along the lines of what we're talking about here. He says, uh, as no child ought to be isolated from his home and his family, so as a rule, no Christian uh, is in his right place or in a healthy condition who does not live uh, and work in a congregation and give his energies to a community of believers united together for worship and work in one special place. He got that. He understood it. He recognized it. And so uh, I thank the Lord for... Uh, that great truth and how I've seen it play out in the lives of people that get it, you know. And I want you to get it. I want all of us to get it. When some of the Hebrew converts uh, to Christ became lukewarm and wavering in their faith a little bit, uh, the first thing that went was their gathering together, the assembling together, wasn't it? We saw that back in Hebrews 10 and 25 where it said, Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some of you is. Uh, but he said, and all the more so as you see the day, the day of Christ approaching. And so um, the, the Hebrews were, were experiencing the same thing that you and I see, you know, the, the uh, lukewarmness and the laxness that uh, can come about in a person's life. And then, you know, it's, uh, it's, not, it's not necessarily that the, that the uh, you know, that the, the uh, times in the Bible or the uh, prayer life or or these other things, they, they may go on to some extent in the individual's life, but one of the first things that seems to drop uh, by the wayside of, uh, of unnecessary is the faithful attendance in the house of God, among the people of God. And so it's, it's so important for us to get that. We can't follow holiness. We can't do that. We cannot follow holiness without understanding the, the uh, importance of uh, the, our individual walk with the Lord and our corporate uh, identification with a body of believers that are like us. Edification in the scripture always, always refers uh, to the building up of believers in a community that's assembled together. It's always that way. Uh, the only time it talks about an individual edifying himself, it's in a negative context and it is a rebuke. Paul spoke of those in the Corinth who were working to, wanted to edify themselves by the gifts and so forth that they were seeking after, and uh, it was a rebuke. Uh, but every other case in which exhortation, uh, I mean edification is mentioned, it is mentioned in the context of the body of believers gathered together, and we edify one another. It's, it's others-oriented. And so the house of God among God's people, congregation, we're, uh, we're to be others-oriented. And so it's so important for us to get that. Uh, you know, unfortunately, the current uh, pop culture brand of pop Christianity sees the principle of any real commitment to a church to be kind of extreme. You know, they look at that as right on the, you know, you're really out there if, you, if you're committed to the, uh, to, the, to be faithful in an assembly of believers and gathering together with them and, and being part of something that you identify with through salvation and then baptism and then a commitment to, uh, to a body of believers. It's, uh, you know, through, um, uh, through this era that we live in, it's just really 
that's really out there, you know. But, uh, that's really, wow, you know, you, you go to church more than an hour a week or a couple times a month. <laughs> what is wrong with you, you know? Uh, that's the idea there in the, in the pop culture that we live in. And uh, many try to experience Christianity with just this idea of, you know, talking about spiritual words and how God's blessing and praising God and this and that, and, you know, without any real conviction or connection to a local assembly of believers anywhere, and they think, well, that's okay, you know. Well, it isn't okay with God. It's not okay with the Word of God. It's just not right. It's not possible for us to follow holiness as God commanded us to without recognizing the value of a, of a, a body of believers gathered together and that encouragement we are one to another. So he says then, first of all, though, he said, follow peace. Peace. That ought to be a characteristic feature of every Bible-believing church. You know, it should be uh, the spirit of peace. In Psalm 133, it says, Behold, how good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. You know, we're dwelling together in unity. When we're together in harmony, there ought to be that spirit of peace among us. And thank God that is so. Thank God people comment on that quite often, how they are encouraged by you and by one another as you encourage them, as you fellowship together. It's not like, you know, we, it's like poor, uh, you know, a Christian has to wait until everybody's gone until the light's out and sometimes, till, till they can turn the lights out and lock the doors and sometimes he's here a couple hours, you know, uh, before the fellowship is finished and uh, everybody's done. But uh, uh, we, we uh, I, I'm glad for that. I've been places and when I'm on vacation visiting, I've been places and, you know, we've stopped somewhere and, and there isn't a, you know, a church like ours in, in the area, so we've gone to whatever a church that was closest we thought to it and and uh, sometimes the the last amen is said and it's like a beeline to the door and it's just like ghost town you know in about two minutes after the last the last amen <laughs> so uh i thank god that there's a lot of noise going on uh, around here afterwards and uh you know uh, the the sun is setting uh, and uh, the the people are still out visiting and talking and uh, and sitting around the the uh, uh, facilities and outside in the in the um, gathering areas and still uh, enjoying the fellowship of the brethren and and uh, laughing and encouraging one another praying together talking about the things of the Lord and and the challenges of life I thank God for that and so uh, that that ought to be characteristic of us brethren dwelling together in unity in Acts two and verse one it said in the, of the early church they were all with one accord in one place and he's he didn't waste his words and put it in there just for no good reason. He said they were all with one accord, there was unity, and they were in one place. You know? They are gathered together in one place. In Acts 4 and 32, he says, The multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul. There, there was a harmony, there was a unity uh, there in that fellowship. This concord comes out of that peace with God that every individual Christian gains when he comes to Christ. You, uh, you receive a peace with God and you have the peace of God that passeth all understanding when you come to Christ. And that uh, peace individually becomes a peace corporately when we're gathered together. Uh, and uh, we thank God for that. Uh, so if your heart is in turmoil and your life is in turmoil, the, the peace of God is the answer to that. And when that occurs, uh, there's just something about people around you that have that peace that makes you and me want to have it. And, and God desires that all of us have that. So that, that's the way they, they are to be. That's the way they were and the way we are to be. The peace that comes from God is 
from God, through Jesus Christ, by the Holy Spirit, entering into our uh, heart at the point of salvation. When that happens, it's a, it's a miracle of God. And, of course, this is the peace of Jesus. He said to the disciples, he said, My peace I leave with you. It's his peace. It's not something we generated or something we worked up. It's his peace. My peace I give unto you. Follow peace with all men, he says. Follow peace with all men. With all men. Christians are at, uh, are at peace with God, and they are then to be peacemakers. They are to follow peace with all men. Romans 12 and verse 18 said, If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. I mean, it's tough sometimes, you know. He said, I recognize it's hard to live peaceably sometimes with all men. Uh, you know, all men are, a lot of men are cantankerous sometimes and difficult to live in peace with. But he says, as much as lies within you, if it is possible, then live peaceably with all men. In Luke 10, verse 5, he says, and uh, into whatsoever house she entered, sending disciples out, and he told them, they said, whatever house she enter." He said, first thing you say is, peace be to this house. And you explain to them where the peace can come from. You give them the gospel. You uh, tell them the peace, the prince of peace will bring peace to this house. Uh, you preach the gospel to them is what the implication is. Say, peace be to this house. And if the son of peace be there, if the son of peace, if they accept the, the Savior, the prince of peace, and the principle of peace uh, is residing there, then your peace shall rest upon it. The peace that you bring will, re will stay there. It will rest upon it. But uh, if not, if they don't accept, if they reject the gospel, if they re reject the Prince of Peace, if they reject the Lord Jesus Christ, he says, it shall, the peace, it shall turn to you again. He said, you're not going to lose any of the peace you have just because they rejected the Son of Peace. You're, it'll turn to you again. You'll continue in peace. You'll go on again. Peace, though, when, when uh, the Prince of Peace and representatives of the Prince of Peace come bringing that message of peace, there's something about that. Peace kindles peace, you know. And if our gospel isn't received, that peace uh, still is yours. And you, thank, you can thank God for that. So he says to follow peace with all men. And then he says something that uh, is very sobering. He says, follow holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. Follow holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. Jesus, though, expressed this. Don't, don't let it, uh, you know, throw you. Jesus expressed this same truth to Nicodemus, didn't he? He said, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You can't see the kingdom of God. Uh, except you're born again. And that's the same truth that's being expressed here. Without holiness, no man shall see the Lord. So if you don't have holiness, you're not going to see the Lord. If I am not holy, I am not going to see the Lord. So what's that mean? What's that mean? Well, the flesh at the best, the best you can offer of your flesh, the best you can do in your body, the best you can do in, the, in, the, in your human nature, the best is not pleasing at all to God. Could you imagine what the worst is then? When you give your best, your very best, your hardest, your most diligent, and it's not pleasing at all to God, can you imagine what the worst is? Yeah, the flesh can't do it, can't get it done. Brother Ryan pointed out this morning in John chapter 8 that uh, 
uh, only the perfect are in heaven. Only the perfect are there. Well, you know, we're all in trouble because, uh, you know, almost none of you are perfect. Guy's close over there. Guy's real close. You know, at least he tells me he is. Uh, but uh, no, none of us is perfect, and we've got the problem. But none of us is holy like God is holy. And, you know, if we're honest with ourselves, we recognize that. So we're, we're saying, what, what can this mean? Follow holiness without which no man shall see God. Well, we've got to have a holiness that's got to be from somewhere outside of ourselves then, don't we? We've got to be, uh, we've got to be holy with a different kind of holiness than, than we can produce with the strength of our flesh and the uh, will of our might, you know. Holiness is a state we are brought to by the work of Jesus Christ. His work's finished, you know. His work is finished and His holiness is what we have got to have if we're going to see God. We're called now to follow holiness and uh, we're uh, exhorted to do that, to follow holiness, but we need to have that holiness that was that initially is instituted in us by the fact that we are born again. When you're born again, when you're truly born again, when you become a child of God, His holiness gets imputed to you. And our unrighteousness is set aside. The righteousness of Christ is imputed to us. And so we then become holy as Christ is holy, not in our own merit, but in His, you see. And that's what we're talking about. When you read your Bible, the single most dominant characteristic of God is His holiness. It, it way outshines all the other characteristics that we see presented. Now, it doesn't outshine the characteristics that He has, but as far as the, how it is presented in the Scripture, the, the characteristics of holiness far more often appears uh, the God's holiness far more often appears in the Bible than any of the other characteristics that uh, he has. And so it's obvious that it's very, very important to us. God did not condemn man to live in the darkness of his own sin, but allowed us to be partakers of his own holiness by the Lord Jesus Christ. And so it is. Colossians 2, 6 says, As ye have therefore received Christ, Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. The way you received him is the way you walk in him, he said. So we received him by faith in his finished work. And so he says to follow holiness, you just do that the same way. You follow him by faith in his finished work. Follow him by faith, you know. Trust him. Follow him. Don't ever get leaning on your own merit, your own strength, your own ability. Uh, we, can, we can't make that mistake. So so important for us uh, to, to follow uh, after holiness, to follow His holiness is the daily object of our lives. It ought to become the, the thing we get up in the morning and say, I'm going to try to follow Christ today. I'm going, to fo I'm going to try to follow His thinking. I'm going to try to follow His way of doing things. I'm going to try to follow His attitude. I'm going to try to follow His spirit. I'm going to try, try to follow his holiness. And so that ought to become the constant uh, desire and object of our life. And, and it can't be by an act of just an iron will, you know. Uh, there are those that we uh, admire who have powerful, strong wills of iron, you know. And, 
and uh, accomplish amazing things. Uh, told you I'm reading some accounts of the some of the early explorers of the uh, uh, continent of Antarctica and uh, uh, iron will. You talk about iron will. You know, men that were placed uh, on a on a windswept ice uh, ice covered a spot of nothing, and uh, the ship leaves, and they're left there for a year, you know, and said, uh, uh, there you go. Uh, they build a hut, 24 by 24, and 18 men live for a year in a hut where the average inside temperature is about 28 degrees inside with all the heat they can get uh, in it, and uh, Average uh, wind speed is 50 miles per hour. That's the average wind speed, 50 miles per hour, often 80, 90 mile an hour uh, wind speed there. So it's almost like living in the edge of a hurricane year round, you know, with all the effects of ice and uh, snow. Frostbite becomes a way of life for you just going from the hut to the uh, stations, the, the, the various stations that they had to maintain and check. And uh, these were men of an iron will. I uh, tell you that uh, it, is, it is apparent, you know, to, uh, when you see the great accomplishments of men uh, and what they can do. But that does not translate over into following holiness. You can't follow the holiness that Jesus Christ required us to just by saying, I am going to do it by the power of my iron will. I'm going to will myself to be what Christ wants me to be. That's not the way. It's does, it doesn't get it done. Iron will can carry you so far, but no farther. But the grace of God will get you all the way home. It's the grace of God, you know, the mercy of God. So uh, Colossians 3 and verse 1 says it this way, If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth. On the right hand of God, set your affections on things above, not on things of the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. That's the way to approach it. Not by the power of the iron will, but just to say, I'm dead, <laughs> you know. I'm dead, you know. And uh, it's okay if you get arguing with each other on who's the deadest of you. You know, that's okay. It's uh, I'm dead. Well, I'm deader than you are, you know. I'm all the way dead, you know. So, uh, but the flesh is always getting in the way and saying, no, you're not. No, you're not. You're alive. Come on. Let's have a good time, you know. But uh, the, the Christian is to get to the place where he can recognize, hey, it's not by the, something I work up, the ability that I have, the strength that I have to, to do right. It's, it's got to be that I can't do right. I've already blown it. I've already messed up. If I could do right for the rest of my life and never sin again, I've already got multiplied hundreds of thousands of sins that have gone on before me, and I can't go back and undo them. So I can't. I can't be perfect. I'm already imperfect, you know. Even if I could start being perfect from this moment on until I died, you know. Even if I could be perfect for an hour and then die, <laughs> that wouldn't get the job done because I have already been imperfect. So he says, don't... Uh, don't uh, Work at it from the standpoint of I'm just going to try to really, 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 really be a good Christian. Just recognize that we're dead and our life is hid with Christ in God. That's where life really begins for the Christian. You know, when you get that, our aim, our aim as a Christian as we walk after the Lord is not to try, well, okay, I'm going to try to be a little bit less sinful this week than I was last week, you know. 
that's not the idea of just working our way to being a little less sinful. The, the battle that's going on is between the flesh and the spirit, and the spirit wants the flesh dead, the flesh wants the spirit dead, and there's a warfare going on there that we'll, we'll see. But we're told, we're told, you know, that it's not the idea, well, I'm just going to try to do a little better next week and a little better the week after that, a little better the week after that, uh, and someday I'm going to become holy. There's no place in the Bible where the Scripture says, I want you to become holy. Did you know that? The Scripture says, be holy. Be holy. Not become holy. Be holy. <laughs> to be holy. It's a state of being. It's a condition that you're put, you can be put in only by Christ to be holy. See, And so uh, that's why he says, uh, as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. We're not told to become perfect or become closer to perfect, like Brother Guy. We're not told that. <laughs> We're told to be perfect. Finally, brethren, farewell. Be perfect. <laughs> be perfect. Be of good comfort. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace shall be with you. So we're, we're not striving to become something that we're not yet. We're to learn that we are perfect in Jesus Christ, see, and we're to rest in him. The work of perfection is already finished. That's why everybody in heaven is perfect, and everybody that's a child of God, in the eyes of Christ, in the eyes of God, is perfect because we have the perfection not of our own merit but of Jesus Christ himself. So what a blessing that is. It's the contrast between all religions of the world and Christian, true, true biblical religion of Christianity, biblical faith. You ask a Jew, a Muslim, a Hindu, a Buddhist, a rationalist, a modernist, ask them, what do you mean by your righteousness? And they'll say many different things. They'll say, well, my integrity, my honesty, my self-denial, my purity, my benevolence, my care of others, my good thoughts, my good words, my good deeds. It's always my. My, 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 you know. He asked a Christian, and the only answer we can give when we're asked that question of what do you mean by your righteousness, the only answer we can give is Jesus Christ is my righteousness. My righteousness is in heaven, you know. And that's the only answer we've got. That's the only answer we got. There's nothing in my hand I bring. Only to thy cross I cling. So how are we to follow this holiness? Well, and that's where the warfare is, you know, the flesh and the spirit. I was talking about a moment ago. The flesh, the Bible says in Galatians, the flesh lusteth against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And they are contrary one to another. They're in the opposite sides of the boxing ring and they're, uh, they're always at one another. You know, um, the, the question is, which corner are you going to be encouraging? Which corner are you going to be, you know, mopping the brow and, and, and encouraging the fighter? Which corner are you going to be nourishing? Which corner are you going to be in giving them water, you know, and nursing the cuts and so forth? Are you going to be in the corner of the flesh or in the corner of the spirit? Uh, so whichever corner you're providing for, whichever corner you're in encouraging, that's the one that's going to tend to dominate in your life because every one of you has that, that uh, boxing ring in your heart and every one of you and I have the flesh and the spirit in, uh, in uh, battle with one another. Uh, the, the, the life that is carnally dominated in, uh, you know, uh, is the one that's uh, uh, going to have that root of bitterness that's springing up in it and thereby many be defiled. Here's an example of the, the, uh, an individual that's feeding the carnal side of his life and neglecting the spiritual side of his life. It's Esau. 
Now, you know, we read about Esau there, how he was a profane person. It, do, it didn't say that he was a fornicator. They said, or a, or a profane person, such as Esau. Now, profane means to be, it's the opposite of, of holy. And a profane person is just care, cares about the present world and the things of the world and, and uh, has no concern uh, really in his life for spiritual matters, and that was Esau. The Bible never says of Esau that he was, uh, you know, an apostate and that he was a God denier or anything like that. Uh, you know, it doesn't say that about Esau. It just says he's a profane person. And as Brother Jim was pointing out in Sunday school class this morning, you know, here, here he comes and the immediate desire is he's hungry. Uh, the flesh says, I'm starving, I'm dying, I'm going to die if you don't get me something to eat right now. You know, and that's what the lust of the flesh does. You know, I've got to have that right now. I can't go on. You, we'll, it'll all be over if we don't get what we want right now. The lust of the flesh. That was where it was with Esau. And uh, he sold his birthright. He sold that which was of uh, lasting value for something which was of passing value. That's what being profane is. Living for the present moment rather than seeing anything past, you know, the nose on our face. And so it was with Esau. He was that kind of a, of a person. And that root of bitterness certainly did spring up in him. He was bitter against his brother for years, hated his brother, wanted him dead. The root of bitterness sprung up, and many were defiled by that. Many were ill-affected by that. The whole family lineage was ill-affected by all that. And he, uh, the warning here for us is to follow peace, follow holiness, uh, so that we can... Uh, live in a way that that root of bitterness never has a chance in our lives uh, to spring up. The admonition given to us there is to look diligently. He said, look out, uh, keep your eyes open. Look diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God. Look diligently, lest you trip up and you move from the grace of God into the works of the flesh. Look diligently, watch where you're going uh, follow righteousness, follow peace is what he's saying there. In the grace of God, that's the only way for us to continue to follow holiness. The child of God has received uh, the holiness of God by the way of the love of God. And uh, we've been partakers of his grace and of his holiness. And so our desire uh, every day is to realize our position in Jesus Christ to just realize that we're in Christ. We're seated together with Him in heavenly places. We're already in the eyes of God as though we were there. And so our part is just to live accordingly, to live as those that are in Christ. Yeah, to live as those that are in Christ. Let's not be ending up our lives like Lot, who's in heaven. He's a child of God. He, he trusted Christ, but he lived all of his life after his own daily desires for the uh, satisfaction of his flesh. And he lost everything, didn't he? He lost everything. He lost his wife. He lost his children. He lost his reputation. He lost his career. He lost his home. He lost the whole city. He lost all of his friends. He really suffered a great deal of loss. It was a foolish, foolish uh, way to live one's life. Uh, and you and I as a Christian don't want to do that. We, we don't want to always... Uh, you know, be found in the wrong corner, you know, urging on the flesh or making provision for the flesh. Want to get over in the sight of the Spirit. Tonight, you're here in the house of God. You have your Bible open, uh, and you're, we're in the Word of God, and you are making provision for the Spirit. You're encouraging the Spirit, you know, to, to whip up on the flesh and, uh, and to take care of Him. You know, you're encouraging the Spirit. You're growing in the Spirit. You and I, 
as we uh, are in the Word together, are growing in Christ, and we're honoring Christ. We're following after holiness. You're doing, uh, you're doing it the way God wants you to do it. We're where we ought to be tonight, and our desire is to live that way, not just uh, occasionally, but uh, regularly and consistently. Proverbs, uh, Psalm 39 and verse 23 says it this way as we conclude. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. The psalmist is saying, I, I don't even know my own heart. I don't even really know my own thoughts. He said, search me and, and know these things, Lord. And, 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 and God, would you see, would you see if there be any wicked way in me and help me to recognize it and to forsake it? And he says, if there be any wicked way in me, lead me in the way everlasting. Lead me to follow after peace and follow after holiness. Let's stand together. I want to give an invitation. Uh, I, I thank God for the opportunity to respond to the Holy Spirit and His Word.